is from 1 Thessalonians, starting at chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. As Sam said, there's Bibles on the back table if you would like to make use of those. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about the missional courage, character, and care of St Paul, may we hear your call to take your gospel to others with the courage you provide, with Christ-like character, and with deep care and love for those who do not yet know you. Amen. I don't know if you've experienced something like this. About 10 years ago, I was in Melbourne for a footy weekend with my teenage boys, uh, ranging from maybe 10 to 14 at the time, three of them, and we're walking through the Burke Street Mall, going from our accommodation to the G, and we came across the Burke Street Mall Evangelist. I don't know if you've had this experience. When I used to be a minister 20 years ago in Launceston, there was something similar in Launceston. You could find uh, your own street evangelist there. The Burke Street Mall Evangelist, I first became aware of him because I saw there was a crowd sort of not really gathering around him but trying to avoid him, to, to walk around him. This man had a soapbox was actually a milk crate, one of those plastic, hard plastic milk crates that he turned upside down, was standing on it, had a megaphone, like you know, a police officer or someone would have, and he was, uh, had a message for everyone who was walking by, workers, shoppers, people on their lunch break, tourists coming to watch some sport like myself. And his message was this, judgment was coming. Hell awaited anyone who didn't know Jesus. Jesus was the only way. And then he caught my eye and it was like he was looking straight at me when he said that sinners are going to burn in hell. I don't know what he knew about me uh, in particular, uh, but what he didn't know about me as he yelled judgment at me was that 
28 years ago, so 18 years before this happened, God adopted me into his family as his beloved child, meaning I'm heading for an eternity at peace with God, in God's presence, not for eternal destruction. He didn't know that about me because he never took time to get to know me. As a Christian desperate that others know the good news of Jesus, I find these turn or burn street corner evangelists who yell at me without taking the time to get to know me very off-putting. When I hear from them their exclusive message of judgment and hellfire, a message that doesn't have grace and, and, and God's love mixed in with it, I wonder how effective are they? Will God use them to bring others to faith in his son, Jesus? Now, don't mishear me. Jesus, uh, God can do anything. I may be sitting down at that great banquet you were speaking about in that new heaven and that new earth, and I might be sitting next to someone and say, how did you get here? And he might say, well, you wouldn't believe it. I was walking through the Burke Street Mall one day and someone told me that if I didn't know Jesus, I was going to burn in hell. And I said, that's it. I've got to follow this Jesus guy. And that's how I got to be here and not in that other place. That can happen. God can do anything. But see, I'm an introvert. And the idea that God might want me to go back home tomorrow in Hobart where I live and get a milk crate and turn it into a soapbox, get a megaphone and start screaming judgment at people is terrifying for me. I just wonder for every person that does respond to that message from the street corner evangelist, how many others it causes a barrier to hearing the gospel as well. Is there a more natural, genuine, less terrifying for someone like me, an introvert, and a more effective way to share Jesus with our family, our friends, our neighbours? Well, thank God there is. And it comes to us from our reading from Paul. Paul here is giving a wonderfully rich description of how he was when he first went to Thessalonica, first met the Thessalonians who'd never heard the gospel. And he and his friends brought the gospel to that city. And where he's writing now in uh, the reading we're looking at in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's recalling those days of when they first went there. And we're going to see that Paul's missional endeavours were marked by courage, character and care. And so as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we, we're going to have a different model of sharing Jesus. We've got the, the image I've painted of, of that experience I had with the Burke Street Mall evangelist, and we're going to look at Paul's method. And then I'm going to leave you to choose which method you pursue. So let's first think about missional courage from this story of Paul and his friends Silas and Timothy. The first thing we notice is they needed courage to share the good news of Jesus with the Thessalonians. Courage that Paul says God gave them. So we begin. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you of his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul, Silas and Timothy were very effective when they first brought the gospel 
the good news about Jesus to the Thessalonians. Their visit, he says, was not without results. Men, women, children came to put their faith in the Lord Jesus and be adopted into God's family. Their visit was not without results. They were effective in bringing the good news of Jesus to that city. But their efforts still required a great deal of courage. If you've got time later today or tomorrow, I'd invite you to read through Acts chapter 16 and 17. Uh, it'll t it tells the story of what happened in Philippi and then Thessalonica. And you'll read the story of opposition and hostility and imprisonment and beatings that Paul and his friends endured for daring to tell others about Jesus. But despite these hardships, Paul reminds the Thessalonians that with the help of God, they dared to tell God's gospel in the face of strong opposition. God was the one who gave them the courage they need, needed for the missionary task of sharing Jesus with others. In many places in our world today, sharing Jesus can cost you your liberty or even your life. CMS, the Church Missionary Society, currently has missionaries serving in the Middle East and in parts of Asia where they do face the risk of imprisonment and perhaps deportation if it's discovered that what they're doing there is bringing Jesus to people. And where those they work with, local Christians, face much worse. But because we think Jesus is worth it, we continue to send people from the safety and the security of this land to places where it's very hard to share Jesus with others. One of our workers, uh, I won't say where, but one of our workers recently had the police at the door, about half a dozen police. And they were there because someone had tipped them off that there was a Bible study taking place in their apartment, in our workers' apartment. And there was. And it's illegal to share the Bible and to share the story of Jesus and read the Bible with people that aren't Christians in that country. And that's exactly what our worker was doing. And thankfully, after their search, they didn't find a Bible. There was about a dozen people there uh, reading the Bible, but they didn't find a Bible. Because where's your Bible if you're under 30 these days? It's on your phone. So there was no actual Bibles like Steve's got there. Good on your brother for keeping the faith and having a paper Bible. <laughs> so thankfully in this case, there were no Bibles like that. And because it would have been uh, a severe consequence for our worker and perhaps even for those she was sharing Jesus with. Kate sent out from this church four or so years ago along with many of our CMS missionaries serving in Asia and the Middle East, are examples of missionaries that have been sent to difficult and dangerous places because you, CMS, and they think that Jesus is worth it. Kate ministers in an environment where she daily needs to draw on God's courage. Courage from God. During her first tour, of course, she was a single uh, missionary, and she needed courage because where she serves in South Asia, it's hard to be a single woman, let alone a single white woman. And a foreigner, let alone a single white female foreigner who is a Christian in a nation where there are so few Christians. Of course, earlier this year, Kate got married to APOC, which is fantastic. She now has a fellow 
uh, a partner for life who's a fellow gospel worker, uh, himself a foreigner, like Kate, serving in that country as a missionary seeking to declare Jesus as Lord and Saviour in a nation where most do not worship God or not the true God anyway. And so we delight that she now has a partner as they minister together in their South Asian location, but it still remains a hard place to be. As you pray, there's, there's riots going on at the moment because there's this election happening. It's a dangerous place. Not all our CMS workers are serving in places where Christians are ostracised and persecuted. Some are serving in countries in Africa and Latin America. They need courage because there's civil wars going on and there's gang violence in the streets. Kate and all our 200 CMS Australian missionaries and all missionaries from every mission agency need our prayers that they would remain courageous as they share their lives and share Jesus in the places where God has sent them. Well, what about us? We mightn't be being sent to South Asia this week, but God is sending us out this week to our family, our friends, our workmates, our neighbours who don't know Jesus. And he wants us to share Jesus with them. We're going to need courage to be bold in declaring Jesus as Lord and to live lives that commend Jesus, countercultural lives in our society. Our nation is increasingly turning away from the Christian narrative that was foundation, foundational to its history these last 200 years. Being a Christian now puts us firmly in the minority in our schools and in our workplaces and at social gatherings. And yet our friends and families, they need Jesus as much today as ever. We're going to need courage for the missional task of reaching Tasmania for Jesus. Courage to live countercultural lives. Courage to boldly declare to our neighbours that they're not Lord of their life. Jesus is Lord. Paul wrote that it was God's help that enabled him to be courageous in telling Jesus' story. We too can expect God's help as we step out in local mission here in Launceston, here in Tasmania. Let's think about missional character now because the, it, the message we proclaim is important, but so is the person who proclaims it. We want them to see Christ as they hear about Christ. CMS believes that one of the most critical elements of effective mission activity is the quality of the people we send. The character of our missionary applicants matters more to us than their ability to talk to others about Jesus. We can teach people the skills of sharing Jesus with others. What we look for is deep, mature Christian character. That's why we subject our missionaries to months and months of uh, interviews, up to 10 different interviews. We obtain multiple references. And then they spend five months in our residential training component where we're further considering their character. Now, don't mishear me. We don't look for perfection because we're not going to find it in any applicant's uh, that cross our desk. We look for sinners saved by the grace of God who are showing in the way they live and the choices they make that Jesus is their king. People who are trying in the Spirit's power to conform their life to Christ-like. People that are growing in Christ-likeness. In our reading, Paul speaks about the character of the Christian who shares the story of Jesus with others. If you look at verses 3, 5 and 10, you'll see that Paul 
reminds the Thessalonians that when he and his two friends came amongst them and shared the Jesus story with them, when he lived amongst them for a time, they did it with pure motives, no trickery or flattery or without greed. He says they were holy, righteous and blameless when they lived among them. So from verse 3, for the appeal, Paul says, we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Verse 5, you know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. And then verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. Here in Launceston, the week before I entered what would become 15 years of school chaplaincy, a Baptist pastor who's like a mentor to me counselled me and he said these words and I remembered them for every day of the 15 years I ended up at two different schools as a school chaplain. He said, Scott, remember who you are will always be as important as what you say. Who you are will be as important as what you say. Now, my friend wasn't dismissing the vital task of communicating with words the story of Jesus. He knew I was going into an Anglican school, Launceston Grammar, where I would have uh, weekly chapels, where I could tell the students about Jesus, where I would run RE lessons, where I was free to wander around at lunchtime and talk to the kids about Jesus. I had that liberty. He was just reminding me that my words and my deeds needed to go hand in hand. And he was right. As a school chaplain, I was very aware, as perhaps the most public Christian in the school, and the vast majority of staff weren't Christians, I was very aware that the students were constantly making judgments whether I walked the talk, whether what they heard me say in chapel was what they saw lived out amongst them. And, of course, I never got this completely right. I'm always conscious to say that because you never know. There could be a former student here somewhere. I never got it right. But I was aware that each day I needed to try to make sure that how I lived and cared for them and loved them and their friends matched what they heard me proclaiming about how a Christian should live in chapel. We must show people Christ through both our Christ-like actions and Christ-like character, even as we tell them those great gospel truths that we remembered earlier about Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, the forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus and Jesus only offers to the world. For who we are will be as important as what we say. Paul, Silas and Timothy, they were able to witness and minister with great integrity and with courage. And I think they could do this because they weren't people pleasers. In what, to some degree, they didn't care what the crowd saw. They had a job to do and they got on and they did it. They weren't looking for applause or the praise of the crowds. Nor they tell us that were they after people's money. If you look at verse 4 and verse 6, Paul says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. Verse 6, we are not looking for praise from people, not from you, nor anyone else. Knowing that it's God who ultimately is the one who does that miracle of salvation and opens someone's heart to the truths of the gospel, they knew that their job was just to faithfully proclaim and live out the gospel and then they could entrust the results to God 
God had called them and equipped them to share his story. Their role was to faithfully live and tell out that story. But ultimately, it wasn't about how many people responded or what the crowds on any particular day thought of them. Ultimately, they were ministering to an audience of one. As we go out from church this week, may we, like Paul, minister with integrity, remembering that our character and our actions will be just as important as the words we say, having faithfully shared Jesus with our words and through our Christian character, let us rest content that it's God that we live to please, not people. Let us faithfully proclaim Christ through our lives and our words, and then let us entrust the results to God, confident that hearts will be opened, people will come to faith, as God so wills it. Lastly, let us think about missional care. There's lots of reasons we should be telling others about the good news of Jesus, about his life, death and resurrection. The Great Commission, probably the one that springs to everyone's mind, isn't it? Where Jesus commands his followers to go into all the world and make Christ-following, Christ-exalting disciples of all nations, of all people. It's why we're on mission here and it's why we send people like Kate to South Asia, because of the Great Commission. There's also a passion for God's glory. As Christians, we believe that God and God only is is worthy of human worship. He is the only glorious being that there is. And yet there are so many places in our world where God is not glorified, God is not worshipped. John Piper famously said, mission exists because worship doesn't. There are places in our world where people don't worship God like we've gathered to do today. That's why the missionary task continues. There are plenty of people on the golf course over there that Maybe they're coming to the four o'clock service. But there's lots of people in Launceston that don't worship Jesus and his Father. And so the mission task remains. That's another motivation, but it's not the one that comes from today's reading. They're great motivations for mission. But let's look at the motivation that Paul actually writes about in this part of his story. And we'll see that deep care, love and affection for those that they met at Thessalonica was what motivated Paul, Silas and Timothy to share Jesus with them. And that's what I didn't sense in the Burke Street Mall Evangelist. That's what was missing, a deep abiding love, care and affection for those of us he was shouting at. Paul writes from verse 7, uh, second half of verse 7, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because we cared for you. Because we loved you so much. Paul and his friends' missional motivation was deep affection and love for those who were yet to know Jesus. Three years ago, CMS Tasmania sent Amanda and Morris uh, Jacobson from a farm in southern Tasmania to Cambodia to be long-term cross-cultural CMS missionaries. They're serving at a school called Elam Bible School. It's a small rural Bible college in the middle of Cambodia. It trains up local village pastors, evangelists and lay church leaders. Having been to Cambodia over a dozen times on short-term, two weeks, three weeks, four-week mission trips, 
they decided they needed to go all in and move long-term to Cambodia so that they could share not only the gospel with the local Cambodians, but their lives as well. On their prayer card, they chose a verse that's featured in today's reading. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And I asked uh, Morris one day, I said, well, why that verse? There's lots of verses in the Bible. Why is that going to be the verse that defines why it is you're heading off to Cambodia? And Morris told me that on one of their short-term trips, Morris, Amanda was in a village and Morris was making his way back to that village and they were driving past all these other villages in a particular part of Cambodia. And the guide was a Christian, uh, the driver, and he was asking about, Morris was asking him about the villages. And he said, you know, most of those villages have never had someone come and tell them about Jesus. And they live in constant fear of their ancestor spirits or that a curse will be pronounced over them by someone. So they live in constant fear and darkness. Every aspect of life is controlled by the fear of the ancestor spirit or being cursed. And they've never heard the comforting and liberating message of Jesus, the one who said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Never heard of that message of salvation and freedom that is offered to them through Jesus. And so God put that verse in his mind on this trip and, and he went and he said to Amanda, and Amanda had sort of already been stirred by God that day, and they came together and they realised they had to stop doing these two, three, four-week trips and they needed to go all in. And that's what they've done three years ago. Uh, they went and uh, they're an older couple and they're going to spend the rest of their life, I think, living and serving the local people at Elam Bible School. They're, these young students, the students at Bible College are 18, most of them, 18 to 20. It's sort of what do you do when you finish matric? You go to Bible school or you go and do something different. Uh, and Morris and Amanda, they're probably in their 50s and Morris nearly 60. He's had this long walk with Jesus, 40, 50-year walks with Jesus, and they're just uh, discipling and modelling what it means to follow Jesus to these young people, shaping them, not just teaching them. There's faculty and others that can do that. They're just modelling what it means to walk faithfully with Jesus. They're doing life with them as well as sharing the gospel with them, just as Paul says he did in Thessalonica. Paul's deep care, love and affection for the Thessalonians and the love and care that Morris and Amanda, Kate and Apoch have for the people whom they serve is vividly illustrated by this image that Paul gives us. It's the last image I want you to take away today. Paul says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. I don't know what you think about when you think about Paul. I sort of think of like this superhero character that shook up uh, his area. You know, this bold, zealous man of God going around and, and just boldly proclaiming Jesus. But yes, he did th all those things, of course. But here he says he was like a nursing mother, literally a mother nursing, breastfeeding a child. That, that wonderful uh, experience that I've never had, obviously, because I'm a bloke. But it's one of my wife's most cherished uh, experiences of being a mum. We've got four kids. I was the assistant minister at St John's Launceston 
uh, when I first got into ministry and our second son was born into the Dole's house that's next door to the church there and I got a rocking chair and a heater uh, for my wife because and, and Noah used to wake every two hours. I'm a heavy sleeper so I never heard him so that was good. Um, but my wife, I'd, so occasionally I'd wake up and the bed next to me would be empty and I'd think, oh, that's strange, I wonder what's going on. So I'd get up, make a cup of tea and be the good husband and I'd wander in and I'd find Jan there uh, nursing, breastfeeding Noah. And, of course, she did that with our four children. And I remember later, the other kids were really good sleepers, but Noah was terrible. And I said to her how horrible it was that she had to get up every two hours uh, in the middle of the night. And does she wish that she didn't have that, had had that experience for ten months? And she rebuked me. And she said, no, I look back at those moments as the most precious in the still of the night where all of Launceston is sleeping, just her and her young son forming this, this bond, this deep, unbreakable bond of love. And that's the metaphor Paul gives us of what he felt for those who didn't yet know Jesus, that he came to live amongst and to share Jesus with. It's a beautiful image to remember, to keep at the forefront of our minds as we go out this week to our friends, our family, our workmates, our schoolmates, whoever we know who doesn't know Jesus. My prayer is that God would give us a love like that for them. So, friends, let love be one of our key missional motivations. Have we been loved? The first question is, have, have you been touched, blessed and transformed by the love of Jesus? Because if you haven't, it's going to be hard to share that love with others. Do you believe that belonging to this community of Christ followers, this community of Christian love, this church, is better than belonging to any other community or organisation the world has to offer? Clearly three men do, because I saw them make that declaration earlier. If that's true for you, having experienced the love of Jesus in our lives and in his church, let us share that love with others. Let us share our lives with others, give our lives in loving service of friend, family and neighbour, that they might likewise experience the love of Jesus. Let's tell them of the love of God that we found in Jesus and let us show them that love as we live amongst them. Let's pray. Jesus, give us the courage necessary to tell others about you. And Jesus, develop our character so that when we do share your story, we do it with integrity. And Jesus, give us a deep and abiding care and affection for those that we know who are yet to discover you. Amen.